Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I'm your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Weil Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine? I'm so good. How are you? I'm feeling good right now. We're taping this on Sunday night, mm-hmm. and we've survived an incredibly long weekend. Wow. Week, weekend, month. Hello, May. Happy to be here. Yeah, taping this May 1st. Get to reflect on what is a bonkers April. And we'll be a bonkers April for the rest of our life. <laughs> yep. Uh, why? Well, we'll tell you that in a second. But first of all, welcome everyone to episode 83 of The Long Finish. And tonight, we're talking about wine for birthdays. Folks, our family has, I'm sure many families are, this is not new, this is not original, but it's the first time we're experiencing this. We're celebrating three birthdays in our household in one week. Two of them, as you might remember from previous podcasts, are on the same day. So we're exhausted and we're going to drink some wine. Yes, this is our treat, okay, because I, I got a text on my birthday on Friday, the hope you're relaxing today, I'm like, haha. Emoji with the crying, laughing eyes. Um, although I am very happy, relaxing is not one of those things. But right now, I am relaxing here, opening this bottle that you brought me for my birthday that I've waited all weekend for. So we're going to talk about things we want to drink on respective birthdays. This is your birthday, so you'll talk about what you want to drink. So, Catherine, what bottle of wine are we drinking tonight? We are drinking champagne. This is the Elise Deschamps. Chardonnay from Champagne, vintage 2012. For me, I'll tell you all the reasons why I picked this, but my birthday wine will always and forever be Champagne. Not true for everyone, always true for me. We'll break that down. But first, this is really a chance for you and I to catch up. It's been a crazy week, crazy back end of the month. Tax season. I really chose poorly. Let's just say I I chose a wife, had a kid born in late April on the same day. One in early May. May. This is all after tax season. You've also got Mother's Day coming Mother's up, Day. so let's no, say. The way I look at it really is from April 29th, which is your birthday and our youngest birthday, to Mother's Day is just to suck it up. Just bat down the hatches and push through. And that's what it, This is our first time really celebrating a birthday with this you know, youngest boy of ours. And you know, he got to have cake and your parents are in town. This is fresh on the heels of spring break. A visit from your family. My sister went on her spring break. None of these spring breaks were aligned, as you all know from last episode. My sister's spring break for her kids didn't align. So we're really dealing with four weeks of spring break. And and let me tell you, my email inbox is show, showing that right now. I have like 700 unread emails. So if you are one of those, I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I have been busy entertaining children, my family, and trying to just pay the bills here. And pay the bills at work. But I will get to it. I will get to the emails. I mean, we talked about the spring break, how it felt like it blew up any sense of routine that we were, we were building on to start the year. I have no clue which way, which end is up right now. Because so just for everyone at home, we celebrated our one-year-old and Catherine's birthday on Friday. We had cake. We had our former domestic engineer over. We had a nice time. But we also decided My parents your were parents here. are in town to celebrate that. And we rolled that into a birthday party for our five, soon to be six year old on Saturday. 
Why? Mother's Day is next Sunday. Saturday, we couldn't get any park times reserved. So we had it the following day. So we celebrated three birthdays in 24 hours in the same family, which we could not recommend less. No, no. Nothing like doing laundry late night on your birthday and making party favors. <laughs> and you're like, I don't even want to drink the champagne tonight because I had cake and like we that did. was we really passed. sweet. And it, re- it, you know, if you've had something really sweet, you got to wait at least an hour to have a, a great wine because your palate's sort of shot from all the sugar. So we had, you know, a simple, delightful, sparkling wine with our cake. That was fine. But like, I'm like, no, we're not doing the champagne tonight. This is birthday night. I'm doing laundry. I'm getting these favors together. Let's go. Exhaustion. But let let me just yeah. say. Yeah. Say it. It's a podcast. I did make a cake on my own birthday for myself and our child. And that might have been the highlight of my weekend up till now. It was so good. And it, guys, I am not a cook. Or I mean, baker. Uh, we're a baker. I mean, I do cook six, ni- six nights a week for our family, like the basics here. Like six nights seems like extreme. Okay, I, maybe five, <laughs> uh, four, yeah. but we're surviving. Anyway, I am not a chef or baker, but this was a really good cake, and our child went to town. Our middle child doesn't really like sweets, so we've been dealing with that for the past couple of years. When we go to a bakery or whatever, we get him pretzel bread. This youngest. Looked like he'd been eating cake since he came out of the womb. I mean, this kid was like more Fist comfortable. Fistfuls, <laughs> calm, just shoving it in like I'd been giving it to him every day. I have not, but he was all about it. And let me tell you, slept a solid 12 hours that night. We got to get more cake. <laughs> I think that's it. I mean, come on. So you and I had a, now had a chance to catch up because we've been running around. I made multiple trips to Target. I've gone to sporting goods stores to pick up things for the party. Multiple stores, farmers markets, etc. And now we just got to push through one more week to get through Mother's Day. And then we'll hopefully get back to some sense of routine. But right now we're just going to sit back, hang out, and talk about this wine. Now I want to make sure I got you a nice wine. So I talked to Randall who was a sommelier over at Esther's and asked about a wine that you would like. And he recommended this wine from the cellar, something that, that is maybe unknown to a lot of people out there or people are starting to learn about this winemaker in That's the right. United States. But it's exciting, thoughtfully made. And I want to hear why you wanted to drink this wine for your birthday. But let's talk about it. Let's, let's remind the audience what we're drinking and let's just celebrate this weekend with this wine. So again, this is the Elise Deschamps Chardonnay Champagne. 2012. I am a firm believer that you should drink whatever makes you most happy on your birthday. And for everyone, that's not champagne, but it is for me. (laughs) And I don't want to drink, you know, whatever anyone says is this is the best or, you know, it has to be the most expensive or it has to be, I don't know, 100 points from so, so, so in person. But it has to be special and unique. And that's what this is. And let's just start with the producer, Elise Deschamps, is someone that I did not know until I tasted this wine maybe a couple months back with the importer. And I believe it was imported into the United States previously with someone else, but it's certainly the time, first time I've ever seen it in the LA market. It's a great label. 
The importer, the source, Ted Vance, is telling me about the winemaker. She's a single woman. She's a mom. She's got this tiny estate in Champagne in the Cote d'Ivoire. She's farming biodynamically, and she is just a force. You see a picture of her in the vineyards, and the vineyards are wild with life. So much, like, growing everywhere. I've seen pictures of her making her own biodynamic teas and different preparations that she's doing in the vineyard. This is clearly a woman who is just all about farming. And she's a mom. So of course, I'm already hooked. And she's also in a region that is emerging more and more and more, which is the Cote de Bar or the Aube. It's the southernmost region of Champagne, really almost closer to Chablis. The vineyards in the Cote d'Ivoire are about two hours south of Reims, which is, you know, the heart of Champagne. But it's different. The soils are like that Kimmeridgian soil, more like Chablis. And this is Le Risset. That's the region that she's in. And I didn't really know this region before, but they produce some still rosé and are known for the rosé. And she does a lot. She does do a rosé and she does do um, mostly champagnes based on Pinot Noir and then this unique Chardonnay. Now Pinot Noir is the main grape that's grown in the Aube, in the Cote de Bar. But I was obviously drawn to this because it's something different. It's Chardonnay. And because of the vintage, 2012, is by all accounts, an extraordinary vintage, a legendary vintage. It was difficult at the beginning. There was uneven bud break, wet spring, early frost, lots of hail, you know, a pain. But if you made it through all that, it was a good, decent summer. And it was a great late summer, just warm, even in August and September. So the spring really cut down the yield. So there wasn't as much fruit. And then what was made was excellent. So I was excited because I thought, okay, here's a small producer whose story I'm really interested in from a region of Champagne that I'm curious about. And I think some of the most interesting people are in this region from an extraordinary year. And that's why I wanted to drink this tonight. I love that because it answers a lot of questions I had about why you decided to choose wines. But to put your psalm cap on for a minute. I just put it on. Yep. She mimed it for us, folks. Again, really good with the podcast. <laughs> where's, just visualizing where's the stuff. YouTube? Yeah, moment. where's the YouTube? So talk to me about what your process is when you are presented this wine. What are the sort of priorities that get you interested in wanting to taste it? Is it the the trust with your importer slash distributor? Is it the fact that it's champagne and it's vintage? Is it the story behind it? How does the math work for you to leading you to want to end up purchasing this wine because this wine is a, more of a splurge wine like it's a higher end champagne so it's a champagne to be drunk for birthdays for which is kind of you, unique especially when yeah. it's from a really unknown producer so like why would i buy it and get behind it and then someone come into our shop and say well, this is unknown why should we buy this Correct. here yeah that's a great question i mean i think first and foremost if i'm tasting it is it delicious do i like it is it special that is, has to be there. Really, the question begins and ends with that. It does. Right? Now, sometimes they're telling, the person is telling me the story, and I'm like, oh dear, I really hope I like this because I love the story. And I have to, I have to sort of put that out of my mind for a minute and close my eyes and just say, okay, 
is this delicious? Is it special? And when I believe that it is, I'm like, okay, fantastic. It has the story to go with it. Now, if I'm tasting something and I'm like, this is delicious, and it happens to be from a producer that is on every wine list and everybody likes, and I see it in grocery stores, then I'm like, well, that's great. And it's not that special for me. But I'm glad to know that's delicious. So it sort of needs to have the two parts. You know, it needs to pass the taste test and it needs to be unique and special. The importer part or the distributor, the person who's bringing it to me is really important. I need to trust that person. I need to trust that what they're telling me is true. And with most people I work with, I've had a long time relationship with them. So I know when and why they're recommending stuff to me. This particular importer, I've had a long time relationship with. We have traveled with him. I really trust his taste. This is Ted Vance. And I also trust my own gut. So sometimes I know when he's tasting me on something, I'm like, he probably thinks this is fantastic. And it is fantastic. But this one's not for me. Oh, he's tasting this. This is fantastic. And this is right in my wheelhouse. This is for me. So he's one of those people. And I truly believe that everything he brings in is of supreme quality and elegant and pass the taste test. Is it all for me? No. But a lot of it is. And this one, 100%. Speaking of this wine, you, you mentioned the farming practices of this wine, right? That's it's something that you, you're really passionate about. So can you talk a little bit about the way they make their wine? Yes. So Elise... That's her name, Elise Deshawn. She is practicing biodynamics, which is a very involved process. I'm, I'm so excited about biodynamics. One, because I was just leading a staff training on this last week for our staff, but it's something I'm so curious about. Uh, again, it's a form of agriculture that predates organics. Organics agriculture really started after World War II and This biodynamics started in the 1920s with a guy named Rudolf Steiner. It is an ecological and social and spiritual way of looking at farming. Bio means life, dynamic, think dynamic life. It sees the vineyard as a whole ecosystem that's not even contained to itself, but connects with the moon, the stars, the cosmos, the earth. Where does your little piece of land fit in with all those things? And how do you create a self-sustaining ecosystem on your land? It's also not just about the production of whatever crop you're doing, because you can do biodynamic farming with other things too, not just grapes. But it's not just how much can I get for my land, you know? It's about how much life is there on my land, how thriving is this farm. And I think of biodynamics as always being a farm, not just a vineyard, because you have to grow other things. It's all about fertility and growth of all kinds of plant life, herbs and flowers and vegetables and beans and weeds and all kinds of things that are growing. What kind of insects are you attracting and why? And what kind of wildlife are you encouraging? And what kind of farm animals do you keep and are roaming and living in the vineyard? There's heavy focus on compost. There's lots of special preparations that you're doing to encourage life in the vineyard and also to help guard against pests. And you're doing special things on certain days. So you're working with the lunar calendar and there are four kinds of days, fruit days, leaf days, 
root days and flower days. And you do certain things in the vineyard on those different days. Now, there are special apps for this. If you want to get into this for your home garden, there's a biodynamic gardening app. There's also a biodynamic app for drinking because people also say that wine is better tasting on certain days. I have bad news for you that this is a root day, which is not a good day to drink wine. Well, on the day that we're drinking it, the um, day that today, someone else consumes it, maybe yes. a different day. Oh, that's right. Absolutely. Again, we're learning about podcasts in real time, Catherine, is you can't uh, do visuals here. And uh, Well, you guys should all check your apps, <laughs> yeah. make sure it's a fruit day, and go ahead and open it. Yep. Um, anyway, that is a long-winded way of explaining biodynamics, but hopefully that gets into it a little bit more. How basically you as a farmer, if you're biodynamically farming, you got to be in your vineyard all the time. You just have to be there focusing, paying attention, spending a lot of time there. So you know the farming is meticulous. And in Champagne, it's really hard to farm this way. It's northerly, it's cold, it's a pain, and traditionally this region is about style over terroir. But in this region, the Côte de Bar or the O, the southernmost region, it's a little bit warmer. It's also, this region historically was a lot of negociant wine, so a lot of grape growers that would just sell their grapes to the big houses. But this has really started to change in the last 20 to 25 years. And a lot of smaller growers are moving there or starting to make their own wine. And because it's a little bit warmer and because they're a little bit newer, there's a lot more experimentation with farming, particularly biodynamics and just earth conscious farming there. Now we talk about wine pairings for champagne a lot. Does this wine feel like it falls into the modes of the classic pairings with champagne? What are you eating in with this one? Well, it's 100% Chardonnay, and the acid is pretty ripping. I'm all about the oysters for this bud. Yeah. Or crudo, raw fish. Although I'm not a huge raw fish fan, it would be amazing with this. Any kind of sashimi, unbelievable. Our three-year-old had some uh, raw fish tonight. Yeah, he was having sushi. No. Swooshy. Swooshy. He calls it swooshy. Well, I... Okay, don't judge me, everybody, but I did have some McDonald's fries today, <laughs> and this would have been ridiculous with yeah. those. Now, where can you get this wine? This wine is probably is new to you, so I'm sure it's well, not that, the easiest that, to find. Yeah, so. that question kind of stumps me. Yeah. I'm really not sure. Um, now, you may see more of her other wines because there's a little bit more quantity, Elise Dichon's, and you might see her rosé, her still rosé. But still, this production is super small, and I would say in tiny, tiny wine shops and probably mostly restaurants. In we did see it at Horses, mm -hmm. where we ate for my sister's Visit. trip out here. Yep. So we know it's in some great restaurants in L.A. Come to Astros and grab it. Maybe look at some of your classic wine stores in New York, Chicago, the main metropolitan areas. But this is an opportunity for you to look for something that feels new and exciting hard to get so if you're looking to all the sort of buzzwords that go along with special event right birthday engagement wedding promotion this is a wine to seek out and i i understand you know when you're buying champagne a lot of people don't buy champagne all the time and it's not inexpensive so i understand the inclination to go with something a brand you you've seen a bunch or a brand you trust or a region you trust Okay, but 
I would say part of the joy of wine is the adventure, is the unknown, is trying something new and taking a chance. And that is for me what the joy is. So on my birthday, that's absolutely what I want to do. I always want to taste new things. So I say, spend the money. Try it. What's the worst that can happen? You learn something new. Impromptu question, but you know, the joke around here for Catherine, for those who don't know, as I mentioned earlier, our son was born on Catherine's birthday. And the story goes, when we found out that we were having a third baby, the due date was April 29th, which was Catherine's birthday. And Catherine was sort of had mixed emotions because she wanted to have her own birthday. Why was that? Because her brother was born, her younger brother, four years younger, was born the day before. So they always had joint birthdays. Do you want to tell the rest of the story? No, you're doing a great job. But yes, my growing... Mansplaining your birth. <laughs> no, it's sweet. I appreciate it. Growing up, yes, we had a lot of joint birthdays. It would be, okay, Thursdays, we're doing Brandon's cake. Friday, we're doing Katie's cake. You know, there was fun in it. There was joy in it. I'm sure it was hard for my parents because they were new. We're, we're now discovering. Yeah. yeah, we're in the same boat. But I really wanted my own day. And when I found out, I thought, okay, well, we've got, he cannot be born on my birthday. He's going to be like all the other kids. The first child was a week early. Our second child was almost two weeks early. So fine, he'll be early. But of course, he wasn't. He waited till his due date, which is like 5% of babies are born on their due dates. And so be it. It was my best birthday, I would say, last year for me. I guess probably my best was being born, but um, second best <laughs> was him being born. You don't say that enough. That our, our best birthday should be the birthday that where we were born. Yes, being alive <laughs> is a gift every day. Shout out Stephen Sondheim. Being alive. I love that song. R.I.P. So I, wa- I want to ask you, most of this weekend has been dedicated to our one-year-old son and our five-year-old, soon to be six-year-old son. So let me ask you, what are your thoughts on your birthday? How, how have you uh, had a chance to, have you had a chance to stop and, Use this glass of champagne to think about your life as you, I always find this term sort of funny, but uh, another trip around the sun. What, what what are your thoughts as you head into a new year? Oh, yeah, that's a big question. Well, I will say uh, I'm happy. I like being a mom. I like wine. I like talking about wine. And I like the restaurant life. I'm very grateful to have the people all the people that work at Esther's making it the fabulous place that it is right now, much gratitude. And I'm very grateful to you and my kids and my parents for making every day special. Sorry if it got a little sappy, but I'm feeling just happy. Oh, good. Well, that's the champagne talking, perhaps. Elise Deshaun. Thank you so much. (laughs) Gratitude for Elise Deshaun. (laughs) So if you want to feel gratitude like Catherine, go in, go to Esther's or find a restaurant that, that you love and call and ask them if they have Elise Deshaun. It's a great one. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. it, it it's, it's unique. You know, we don't see a ton of Chardonnay from the Cote de Bar, from the Aube. You know, as I said, it's mostly Pinot Noir, which is funny, right? It's closer to Chablis. Chablis is all Chardonnay. And and people in Burgundy are like, whoa, Chablis in the north. Well, we've got to have white wine there. And everybody in Champagne is like, wow, Cote de Bar's in the south. Well, we've got to have the Pinot Noir there. It's so funny, but they're just so close. Anyway, I love Chardonnay. <laughs> Full champagne kicking in. 
All right, let's get into the last portion of the evening, which is what has been inspiring us this week. Birthday girl, I will cede the opening time to you. Catherine, would you like to go first? Oh, I'd love to. Unbelievable inspiration. Yet again from Poetry Unbound, the podcast led by Party Gotuma. He's a great storyteller. He's a great poem reader. Ah, I love this podcast. But this poem, last week, April 24th, Hannah Emerson. The poem is Keep Yourself at the Beginning of the Beginning. Unbelievable poem. His breakdown of the poem is also so enjoyable. And she is unbelievable. This poet, she is a non-speaking autistic poet living in upstate New York. I saw a YouTube of her after someone else did a reading of her poem. And she is just, let's just say, connected to the source of what is really special. Get yourself into some poetry, Poetry Unbound. Listen to Hannah Emerson. Highly recommend. Just an absolute joy. Wow. It's pretty awesome. I'm going to stick into the podcast world where I've been the past few weeks. This is a podcast called Screaming into the Hollywood Abyss. It is a podcast dedicated to dealing with rejection, failure, and adversity in the entertainment industry. It's from writer Noah Evzelin and Dan Rutstein, a podcaster. And it's a podcast that I've gravitated towards. I've started to binge because it's a podcast that talks to a lot of really successful actors, writers, showrunners, creators. But they don't ask them about the hits. They ask them about the failures of other projects and the gaps in between. It's really compelling to hear all these people talk about how they started their careers, the times they got fired off of shows, shows that didn't go. They've had people like the end of season one, they had Bill Lawrence on who created Scrubs and Ted Lasso and Spin City. They had Craig Thomas who created How I Met Your Mother on. And I just feel like we're in a time, I've been talking about this with Dead Eyes in a previous podcast. We're just in a time during the pandemic where we didn't get to connect with enough humans. We're seeing a lot of stuff on social media. We're just we're just seeing like glitz and glamour and fake success and just an opportunity to really hear and connect with the community and talk about things to let you know when you're succeeding and struggling, you're not alone. Everyone's going through that process at the same time. So it's important to me to hear that people are succeeding, taking a step back, moving forward. You know, it's just not like a, a vertical climb. Well, th- there should be more about that. 100%. There should be more about failure and heartbreak. I mean, we like are- Normalizing failure should be a real thing. Yes. We all strive for those successes and the like high points of life, but it's the heartbreak. It's the like low moments that are the teachers and that make us who we are. They really do because you come out of it into something new, into something else. So check out Screaming Into the Hollywood Abyss. It's a really fun podcast with a lot of people talking about their starts into the Hollywood. And a lot of them probably, you know, there's a couple restaurant tours that left the restaurant business to become writers. No way. Yeah. So lawyers, doctors, very interesting to people to hear how people find their way into the entertainment business. But when they do, when they do get a success, they drink champagne. They drink Elise Dishon. That's right. Chardonnay, baby. All right, that's it. That's it for episode 83 of The Long Finish. Episode 83 is in the books. Thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to the show. If you have a chance to rate, review, and subscribe to The Long Finish, we'd really appreciate it. We'll be back in a couple weeks with an all-new episode. Catherine, where can they find you and The Long Finish on social media? Well, definitely don't email me. 
But you can find me on Instagram at Catherine Wild Coker, and the long finish is at the long finish. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tug Coker. We'll be back in a couple weeks with an all new episode as we move towards summer, summer wines to think about. So stay tuned for that. Until then, have a great week. Be happy, be healthy, and happy drinking. Ciao.